0: Research Center just came out with a study, and it was about uh, beliefs about uh, Christmas. And it found that uh, celebrating Christmas as a religious holiday is on the decline. Anybody surprised by that finding? Uh, it's interesting because that decline is not only happening amongst non-Christians, but it's also happening amongst those who identify themselves as christians uh, more and more our society is becoming secular and more and more people are infusing their own meaning into what christmas is and what it is about perhaps you've uh, you've uh, tortured yourself with watching one of those cartoons about christmas time uh, maybe, like, you know, I, I haven't really tortured myself, but I think there's one about Shrek in Christmas. Uh, I think the chipmunks in Christmas. Uh, all these different cartoon characters. And, and why do they have Christmas specials? Is it to celebrate the birth of Christ? Or is it to make some money? Um, my guess is, and you might call me a cynic, I, I, I would venture guess it's to make money. It's to sell product, is to get kids to bug their parents for something new and shiny on Christmas morning. Now, there's nothing wrong with things that are new and shiny on Christmas morning. I'm hoping that myself, I'll get some new and shiny things on Christmas morning. Um, There's nothing at all wrong with that. But when that becomes our focus of Christmas, when material things, when materialism, becomes the focus of Christmas, that is not a good thing. Now, before I get into this morning's message, I'd just like us to stop briefly and pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For centuries, for millennia, the church has given a reason for Christmas, and the reason is the incarnation of God in the flesh, that Jesus Christ put on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood, that he came and he lived amongst us, that he was fully human and he was fully divine. Theologians have a big fancy word for, for it. It's called the hypostatic union. That in the person of Christ, God 100% dwelt as God, but he also 100% dwelt as a man, as a human. And this incarnation, this is the reason for Christmas, historically, that the church has, uh, has celebrated Christmas for it. And I want us to look at a passage just ever so briefly uh, today. We've been looking at Colossians chapter 1 during this Advent season at our church. And today will be no different. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 23. And the, last, the, the first two verses in our reading today, the first two verses in this chapter, they're part of what scholars see as a hymn to Christ. And it's an old church hymn they believe that folks would sing. They would sing it in church about the supremacy, uh, this sovereignty and the power and the work of Jesus Christ. And this is a good text for us to wrestle with and to think about and to contemplate on Christmas Eve. Because it tells us why Jesus came. Luke. Chapter 2 that uh, Beth just read for us, it tells us how he came. How he came as a, a baby boy, born in Bethlehem. Shepherds came, angels sang. We, we've seen the nativity sets. You probably have one or two, or if you're like our family, ten. wise men came and brought him gifts. But Colossians 1 tells us, tells us why. Why Jesus came. And I want us just to spend a few moments thinking about that today. Why did Jesus come? Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 19 reads this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. In this reading, we see that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that God had him dwell fully in the flesh. And we see that he came to reconcile sinners to God. Now, I love the Old Testament. And I think Paul is making allusions to some of the Old Testament, and maybe you've tried to embark on reading the entire Bible through in a year. And guess what? Next week, you can start over. I have finished once again the book, well, finished this week uh, reading through the scriptures again, and it's become a, an annual discipline of mine for many years. And each year I try to read it in a different translation of the Bible. And one thing I find is, It's really hard sledding after you get through Genesis and Exodus because you hit this book called Leviticus. Has anybody ever stopped reading their Bible about that time of year? I mean, you're only like in February, March, and you had this great, glorious plan. I'm going to read through the scriptures. And then you get to Leviticus and you're like, why? Why is this in here? What on earth has my life have to do with all these offerings and the tabernacle and the temple and and priests? And uh, what is all this about? This has no relevance in my life. And I think what Paul is doing is he is alluding to the book of Leviticus here in Colossians chapter 1. If you read at all in the book of Leviticus... You'll quickly see that God, when you enter into God's presence, you cannot enter into his presence unless you are unblemished, without blemish, without flaw, if you are perfect. And it even tells us that when we come into God's presence in Leviticus, he wanted people to bring a lamb, a sheep, a goat, and he wanted that to be perfect without blemish. Only things that are holy and without blemish are allowed in God's presence. And Paul, I think, is alluding to that here by by saying that we are sinners. We're not holy. We're not perfect. We have lots of blemishes. In fact, I don't even think we need the Old Testament to teach us this. You see, we have human laws. And we break those human laws all the time. And why do we have human laws? We have human laws so that we treat other people as humans. So we treat other people as fully human so that we don't walk over people in our own selfishness. So we don't oppress other people. So we don't we don't unjustly treat others poorly. And when we break these laws, let's say Today, somebody in Ray just went on a crazy Christmas Eve rampage and they started destroying things and they robbed a bank and they, and they went and they graffitied and they, they just made a mess of things around town. Destroyed some property, destroyed some cars, destroyed some storefronts. Uh, and they were brought in front of a judge. And some of you were asked to be on that jury and you're sitting there and the person comes up and they say, I'm sorry. Is that enough? Can we just say, yeah, you're sorry. Okay. Have a great day. See you later. Uh, you see, we can't just say you're sorry. You can't just say you're sorry and then let him off. There's a debt. There's a debt that must be paid. There's destruction of property. There's been destruction of, of income. There's been destruction. It's been chaos This person is unreconciled with the law and with this community. And at the very least, we'll have them placed in jail. Pay some fines. Maybe go to prison. They have to pay a debt to society. You ever heard that phrase before? We don't even need the Old Testament to tell us that just in the way we live our day-to-day lives... We are blemished. We mess up. We can see it. We can see it in teenagers. Anybody have a teenager here today? <laughs> yeah, this says somebody way too young to have a teenager. You know, teenage girls can spend an awful lot of time in the bathroom. I've noticed a lot of time in front of a mirror. A lot of time fixing hair. And as a guy, I look at it and I go, honey, you're beautiful. You look fantastic. What on earth are you spending all this time for? She wants to be presentable. She wants to be beautiful. She wants to have no blemishes. She wants everything in place. All the hair, everything just perfect. My wife, bless her. She's here today. But I have the mic and I need to be careful. Sometimes... She'll send me out on errands because she's not ready to face the public yet. She doesn't have her wore paint on, I guess. She's not presentable. Guys, you ever get stuck going to the grocery store because your wife apparently isn't presentable? That happens to me. And I'm far from presentable actually most of the time. But yet I go. You see... We even have these kind of ideas that we are not presentable. We spend an awful lot of time working on the exterior of this thing, trying to get rid of blemishes and get rid of all the imperfections and all the problems and issues. And we feel, especially during our teenage years, oh my goodness, we want to conform. We don't want to stick out. We don't want to look goofy. We want to wear the right kind of clothing. God forbid we get acne on prom night. You see, in our day to day lives, just how we live our day to day life, we can become a mess. And I think that's what the book of Leviticus is there for. God is trying to tell us that in the day to day way you live life, the way you do life, just normally waking up, doing life, you become spiritually messy. You can't help it, you can't avoid it, it just happens living on a fallen world amongst fallen people. Things happen, and we get dirty, we sin, we mess up, we fall short of the mark. And just like human law, divine law is there so that we will treat God as if he is God and nothing less. You see, if there is a creator and he created you and I, and he made everything that you've ever interacted with, everything that you've ever seen, then you and I owe him everything. And divine law exists so that we will simply love him and obey him and treat him as he is and not to treat him any less than what he is, to treat him as God and nothing less. Sadly, many in our culture today are writing online and sharing their experience of my first secular Christmas. My first Christmas since this year, I quit believing in God. Let me suggest to you that if you quit believing in God, it's very difficult to treat him as he is, to treat him as God. And for some reason, these folks still want to take the holidays and Christmas and keep all the traditions. One young mother, she was writing about her son. And this past year, she quit following Jesus. She quit believing in God. She's an atheist. And she's been wrestling with what to do with Christmas because she has all of these nostalgic memories of Of going to Christmas Eve service, and lighting candles, and singing the songs, and listening to uh, the readings of Scripture. But over her life, she found she didn't believe any of it. And her son has been having nightmares recently. But his nightmares have stopped recently since he started to dream about wolves. (laughs) You see, he has this pack of wolves, I guess, that visit him each night. Now, for me, that'd be a nightmare, a pack of wolves, but for him, apparently they guard him. He's, he's being raised by wolves, apparently, in his dreams. And so for Christmas, they're going to go and they're going to go up into uh, this part of Minnesota where there's this preserve that wolves live on. But I doubt they'll go and hang out with the wolves face to face. They'll see them through glass or through a cage or in some manner they'll interact with the wolves that is safe. That's a strange meaning for Christmas to me. And our culture is wrestling with replacing the central message of Christmas that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he gave himself to reconcile. How does Charles Wesley put it? In Hark the Herald Angels Sing, God and sinners reconcile. You see, she'll never be able to replace that central Message with anything that means remotely as much because we cannot save ourselves. Humanity cannot save itself. In fact, she's an advocate for all sorts of uh, issues, social justice issues and, and environmental issues and on and on and on the list goes. And those aren't necessarily bad things. We're asked to be stewards of creation. We're asked to take care of one another and treat each other. How did Jesus put it? The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But those fall far short of the notion that in your day to day living of life, you become a spiritual wreck. You become messy. You become, as the Bible says, a sinner. Now, you might think, well, you know, that was for Paul back then. How old is this book? 2,000 years old? It's an Iron Age book. This has nothing to do with us today. We live with Google. We we live with phones that are, we carry around in our pockets. We take pictures and video. Who needs a God? In fact, there's a French philosopher, I think it might have been Voltaire, who said... Uh, they, they asked him, are you afraid to meet God when you die? And he said, no, I'm not afraid to meet God when I die, because his job is to forgive me. And that makes absolutely no sense. If there's a God, why on earth would his job be to forgive us? Why would that be his job? <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. But it is something that God is willing to enact and to do for us. To forgive us. And he has made a way through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we can't just stand before God someday and say, God, I'm sorry. It's kind of like our friend who went on a crazy rampage here in Ray. He can't just stand in front of the community, in front of a judge and say, I'm sorry. And expect for everything to just be forgiven. There's a debt that must be paid. We can't stand in front of God and just say, I'm sorry, and expect him to just forgive because there's this great debt. So how does he do it? How does he forgive this debt? You see, in the Old Testament, time and time and time again, when something unholy touches something holy, something dies. You maybe remember a couple of these stories. There's this one where Moses is on, on Mount Sinai and he's meeting with God and he's receiving the Ten, Ten Commandments and, and he's up there. And God tells Moses to warn the people not to touch the mountain, because if they touch the mountain, they will die. There's another story where this guy his name is named Uzah and he is carrying the helping carry the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem And the Ark of the Covenant, one of the oxen stumbles, and he goes to brace it to stop the covenant from falling. And he's struck down dead the moment he touches it. Something unholy touches something holy, and something dies. But then there's this story in Mark chapter 5, where there's this woman, and she has this hemorrhaging. She's got this issue of blood, the scriptures tell us. And she wants to be healed of this. She spent all of her money trying to be healed of this. And and she hears about Jesus and his ability to heal people. And she thinks to herself, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Because she, being this person that has this issue of blood, she is blemished. She's not been in God's presence Perhaps for years, as long as this has been an issue, she hasn't gone to temple. She hasn't been able to worship in the community because she is unpresentable, because she is bluntly. And she would never, ever dare to walk up to a holy man and touch him and be known. So she says, I will just in the push and shove and ebb and flow of one of those big crowds that surrounds Jesus, I will reach out and touch him anonymously and something unholy touches something holy and you think ah nothing died that time she was healed but let me suggest to you something did die but this time it wasn't the one that was unholy that died it was the one that was holy that died jesus christ took upon himself the issue of blood from her, the issue of her blemishes, her sinfulness, and she reached out and touched him. And then, weeks later, he was crucified on the cross, and his shed blood, as Paul says here, brought about reconciliation for us to God. You see, this Christmas, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to touch Christ, to reach out and touch Jesus Christ in all your un, your blemishedness, in all of your imperfection, in all of your sinfulness, in all of your failings and shortcomings. You and I have the opportunity to reach out and touch Christ and we will not make him unholy. He will make us holy. He will save us. He will reconcile us through the death and shed blood on the cross. He pays the debt. We can stand before God and we can say, I'm not worthy. But because of Jesus Christ, you have made me worthy. Did you see how Paul puts it in this passage? He says, without blemish and free. From accusation. Some of you need to get a Bible and you need to underline that and you need to circle it and you need to highlight it because so much of the time I hear people sharing with me stories that they feel under accusation from God or, or from a spouse or from a child or from. And this text tells us that if we have touched Christ, if we have accepted Him as our Savior and Lord, if we have pledged allegiance to Christ, if we have have faith in Him and believe in Him and trust in His death and His resurrection, it says here, we are now without blemish and without accusation. May I suggest to you that this Christmas season... As you hear these Christmas stories, songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Joy to the World. And if you've been feeling a little bit like Ebenezer Scrooge this Christmas season, and joy has eluded you, cynicism has set in, maybe you're freaking out about the bill that's going to come next month because of this month's indulgences. May I suggest to you that you spend some time today and tomorrow, reflecting on what it means to be without blemish and free from accusations in God's sight. Because if you think about that, if you ponder that, even for a moment, I think you can't help but have great joy break forth in your soul realizing that Jesus Christ is And His shed blood and His broken body has brought about freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from accusation for you. You see, whenever something unholy touches something holy, something dies. And in this case, if we touch Christ, if we have faith in Him, if we are allegiant to Christ, His death works this in our lives. Not only does it work in our lives, it works it in the entire world. Did you hear how the reading started? It said that he reconciles all things. Maybe that's why the projector didn't work this morning. Just as an illustration for all of us, that Jesus is not in charge of planet Earth just yet. There's still... Pockets of resistance. (laughs) There's still pockets of rebellion. There's still parts of this world that are dark and rebellious to God and to Christ. But this scripture says one day. One day everything will be reconciled to God. Every tree, every rock, every mountain, everything that you've ever seen Will be reconciled, will be under the authority, will be under the sovereignty of God once again. You know, this is great news because some of you, this is a difficult Christmas season. Perhaps the first Christmas without a loved one present. Or maybe it's the first Christmas since the doctor gave you such bad news. Maybe it's the first Christmas since your business failed, first Christmas since. You can't figure out how to make ends meet. First Christmas, well, we can all probably fill in the blank of something that isn't the way it's meant to be. But this text tells us that Christ will one day set the world to right. One day, all will be reconciled to him. And it can start with you and I being reconciled to him today. A couple things that uh, I want to share with you. One is uh, we have an offering that we take up today and we don't pass the plates or anything. You're just free to drop something off. Uh, We have baskets as you leave and maybe already did give something. All of our offering today goes to our Advent Conspiracy offering. And those monies will go uh, to a couple of different things. One is Living Water International which is a ministry in Houston, Texas. And Living Water International, their ministry is to go out into the world and to drill wells for villages, people that have no clean drinking water. And they provide, and we live in a a pretty arid community. We live in a place where water's a big deal. And so when we found this ministry, we thought that's something that we understand. That's something that's important. And so our church has been doing this for nearly 10 years now. And there are wells around this world that have a little plaque and it says, Thank you, First Christian Church, because we helped get these wells built and maintained in remote villages like in Haiti or in India. And part of your money that you give today will go to that. Another part will go to a ministry called Tennyson Christian Center. They worked with kids who are abused and neglected and, and beat up in Colorado. And another portion will go to just local needs here in our own community. And that's one way that we can partner with Christ, with God, in putting the world to right. Because everyone should be allowed to have clean drinking water. Every child should be able to be safe and grow up with friends and family who love them and care for them and nurture them. And we all know local people who, who need help in spite of their best efforts, in spite of everything that they're, they're hardworking, whatever it, they're doing, they, they still have times that stuff happens. The second thing that I, I, I want to bring to your attention, tonight at our church, we're just going to have the sanctuary open from five to seven o'clock. And I've asked you to contemplate contemplate what it means to be in front of God without blemish and free from accusation. And you'd be welcome to come to our church from five to seven tonight. night. It's, it's not going to be any kind of deal going on other than we'll have some music playing and communion will be available. And you can sit there and in the quietness and stillness of your own heart, you can sit and perhaps contemplate that thought. If you have accepted Christ... You are free of blemish and you are free from accusation. Perhaps you'd experience joy of Christmas in a new way this year if you would take some time to do that. Well, I promised everybody my sermon would be two hours, but I'm going to stop here. So I know some will be severely disappointed, especially the kids. But uh, I know we have many other things that we want to get done and do today. And so we thank you so much for being here for this service this morning. To close our time together, Beth's going to come up and we're going to sing Silent Night. And uh, so if you would stand. And uh, I think we got some little LED candle thingies that you could hold and light.